Romans chapter 5, I want to read from verses 1 to 11, and I'm going to focus this morning on 6 to 11. This is God's Word. Listen as though your life depended on it. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Well, while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. But God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by His life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. Thus far God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, have mercy on us. Give us ears to hear, mind to understand, heart to love you and to love your word and seek to walk in its light. Help me to preach your word in the power of the Spirit. Help us to hear it in the power of the Spirit. Do your work. Accomplish your will. As your word goes forth that we know will not return void. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your spirit. We thank you for your great salvation in Christ. And just for your love and the grace that we've been singing about. Bless us with your truth. We lay ourselves at your feet and give you glory in Christ's name. Amen. Before and afters, you see them all the time, don't you? You see, like, you'll see a picture of what a person looked like before the diet and then what they look like after the diet. So the great success you can see, so you'll send them your money and you too can be part of that success. Or home renovation. You know, one of the things that when the project is finished, one of the things that, that uh, makes it even more special is to be able to look back and see the pile of junk it was before you started. Or renoing a car, guys. You know, you buy these old cars that are rust buckets and some of you work and fix them up like they're, they're brand new. Um, there's before and afters of growing old. We see a lot of before and afters of uh, storms. You know, here we go through hurricanes and you'll see, this is what it used to look like. Those are not so good before and afters, right? And then then the cleanup maybe are are the good ones. 
But today I want to talk about a little different before and after. Before I do, just remembering where we are. We're studying the book of Romans. We're working our way through. Paul has shown us convincingly from Scripture that everyone needs a Savior, that all are under sin. Jew and Gentile are under sin and need a Savior and that none can save themselves by keeping the law. So that if we're going to have a righteousness that will be a saving righteousness, it's going to have to come from outside of us because we can't provide it. We can't be good enough for God to accept us. We can't be good enough to save ourselves. We can't offer 1% and Him offer the 99 because all of our sin is filthy rags. So after bringing us to that low point of none love God, none seek God, all are sinful, all turn aside, none can save themselves by keeping the law, he begins to to explain the good news to us, that there is one who has come, the Lord Jesus Christ, who has fulfilled all righteousness, who has died to pay the penalty for the sins of his people, And that righteousness of Christ, that righteousness that God requires, that perfect obedience to His law and thought, word, and deed that Christ achieved is gifted to His people through faith. That we're justified by faith alone in Christ alone to the glory of God alone. And we've seen Abraham and David as examples of those who were saved by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone, not by their own works. And we've turned the corner in chapter 5 to sort of applying the doctrine of justification and, and we're turning towards a discussion in chapter 6 and following of sanctification. We've seen that we have peace with God. We rejoice in the glory of God. We even hope in Him in the midst of our trials. I'll point you back to the last sermon. Uh, and as well, you can come tonight and hear that text preached again. We need that repetition. So I want to have you here for that. But today as we look at verses 6 through 11, and uh, this is, uh, we'll do this in a little different way, but I've organized what this text is teaching into three segments so that we can see our spiritual before and after. I've titled it, Justified by His Blood. And the main point I want you to take away is hopefully coming straight out of the text. Rejoice in God by remembering your past, Christ's past, and you're present in Him. Remember who you were outside of Christ. Remember who He is and what He's done for you. And now who you are in Him, which is totally, totally different. First, rejoice in God by remembering your past. Now, I want to say something before I start this point. I'm speaking primarily to Christians this morning. I'm speaking primarily to those who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm encouraging them to remember what God has delivered and us to remember what God has delivered us from. If you're not trusting in Jesus Christ this morning, this will be the situation that you are currently in. But for those of us who know Christ, who've been brought to faith in Christ by God's grace... This is what we were. This is our past. So rejoice in God by remembering your past. We never want to forget what He's delivered us from. Look back in verse 6. And I'm going to look and and we've read this text. Now we're going to to look at some words that are in this text that talk about our past and see what we can mine from it. But he says this, 
For while we were still weak, stop. We were weak. I want to tell you right now that the ESV doesn't do the best job with that word. The ESV does not do the best job with that word behind weak here. The King James has without strength. That's better. Right? The NAS says helpless. For when we were still without strength, when we were helpless, the word means the opposite of strength. Right? Weak. It can mean weak or sick in some instances. Here it means to be in a hopeless condition, to be morally helpless, to be unable to save yourself, to be unable to, to perform a perfect obedience to God in order to qualify for His grace. It says, it's, for while we were still helpless, I like that, without strength, while we could not help ourselves. See, before we came to Christ, we know, remember from Ephesians, our studies there in chapter 2, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. We talked about this this morning in Sunday school. And we weren't just mostly dead, Princess Bride. We were spiritually dead, unresponsive to God. We were responsive to Him, running from Him, turning from Him, going our own way. So we were without strength. We were helpless. We needed a Savior. We couldn't be our own Savior. So before we came to Christ, we were helpless and needed a Savior. Secondly, look, it's really it's in the same verse. He says, for while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died. We're going to come back to that. For the ungodly. The ungodly. What does it mean to be ungodly? Not godly. It's the opposite of godly. What does it mean to be unwet? It means to be dry. Right? I mean, ungodly, we're not godly. We're opposite of the glorious standard we saw back in, in earlier in Romans. We've, we, we are not uh, in and of ourselves when we were born into this world, apart from the work of the Spirit, outside of Christ, we are not only helpless, but we are ungodly because we're pursuing our own paths. We're not bent towards God and His glory and seeking to live for His glory out of love for Him when we come into this world. This word ungodly is the opposite of godly. It means to live without a proper regard for God's law. That's what ungodly means. That I have a disregard for God's law. That I have not much concern for God's law. That I'm not really, you know, to the extent that maybe it serves my purpose on some occasions, I'll tip my hat to it. But as far as having it shape and mold my life, no. What is the ultimate example of godliness? Jesus, right? Love the Father. It was His food to do the will of the Father. Loved the law. Born under His own law. Joyfully obeyed it in thought, word, and deed. Out of love for the Father and concern for the glory of God and the good of His people. Righteous in thought, word, and deed. Complete obedience out of love. Do you realize, if listen to me, and we're going to see this over and over in this text, if you're going to save yourself, you're going to have to be godly on your own. If you're going to be good enough to save yourself, you're going to have to keep God's law in thought, word, and deed. 
Never have another God. Always be concerned for His name and never abuse His name. Worship Him the way He says. Honor Him on His day. Not even be angry without cause. You know, that's thought, word, and deed. Jesus showed that anger and lust, even in the heart, violated the commandments. So if you're going to stand before God and pass the judgment and make it into heaven, or the new heavens and the new earth, then there better be no stain of sin on your record. You've never lied. You've never stolen. You've never abused God. You've never sought anything else for pleasure ultimately than God. You see, you're never coveting something that your neighbor has. None of us can do that. None of us can stand on our own two feet. You may think you can, and I'm here to tell you, and you'll be sad that you didn't hear me on that day if you don't listen. You can't stand before God on your own and make it through the judgment because we're ungodly outside of Christ. The Paul says we were still weak or helpless at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. We've already seen in Romans that he justifies the ungodly through faith, but we'll get there in a minute. So we are helpless. We live without proper regard to God's law. This is what we were, Christian. Now, let's keep reading. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person. Perhaps for a good person one would even dare to die. Right? We're not quick to sacrifice ourselves for others. But lesser to the greater, God shows His love for us in that while we were still sinners... Christ died for us. So another way of saying the same thing, verse 8, before we came to Christ, we were weak, ungodly sinners. Those who chose sin over God when a choice needed to be made that would press into our way. We violate God's law through omission and commission, not doing the right thing that we should do in whatever occasion and doing the wrong thing we should not do. Speaking the wrong thing, thinking the wrong thing, doing the wrong thing, all coming up underneath being a sinner. Remember, Paul's already said, all have sinned and fall short. And if we're hearing God rightly, and if we're wise, and if we know the truth, we're willing to admit, I fall short. I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. The word here is a person who customarily sins, religiously or non-religiously. You know, you can be very religious and still be helpless, ungodly sinner. Some of us, like Corey in Sunday school, gave the testimony of going to church for years. And if you would have asked him if he was a Christian, he would have said yes. But it was in his mid-20s when he was really born again and converted. See, the churches, one of the, one, of the, one of the problems with an easy believism and a shallow gospel is that you fill the seats with people who think they're Christians who are not. And a lot of the church these days, is, there's a lot of people in the church that if something doesn't change, James Kennedy said one time, he's got people in his church he wouldn't be one me chained to when they die. There's a lot of people that sit in church every Sunday that if something doesn't change, they're going to hear Jesus say, depart from me, I never knew you. So 
See, we can be religious sinners or irreligious sinners. Lots of testimony of that. But before we came to Christ, we were helpless, ungodly sinners. Is there anything else that he says in here about us? Let's keep reading and we'll see it. Since therefore, verse 9, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. All ungodly sinners are enemies of God. All, boy, this is hard stuff, isn't it? Paul in Ephesians 2 says that we were following, before we came to faith, we were following the prince of the power of the air. Who is that? Satan. Walking in purposeful disobedience to God is following Him. I used to think, you know, I wasn't following Satan. I didn't dress in all black and sacrifice animals and do all. Well, that's just kind of the sleight of hand, isn't it? He's the one who masquerades as an angel of light and leads people in rebellion, sometimes sophisticated rebellion against God, sometimes religious rebellion against God. But before we came to Christ, when Christ died for us, we were helpless, ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. So when Christ tells you to love your enemies, He's telling you to follow Him. Because that's exactly what He did when we were enemies All ungodly sinners. Listen, take this to heart. Pause. Look past me. Look at the Word. These are the people Christ died for. Helpless, ungodly sinners who were enemies of God. And all of this is true of every person who's born into this sinful world. Remember 3.23, I'll say it again. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Implication, none can save themselves. And all need a Savior. Look at me. You need a Savior. Whoever you are sitting in here or listening over the live stream, you need a Savior. If you're a Christian, you have one, right? We've been singing about Him and the lyrics that we've sung. But we're all born in sin. We've all sinned and fallen short. You may say, I do my best. You're lost. I'm better than, you're lost. I give to the church, you're lost. I serve the church, you're lost. I do mighty works, you're lost. If you're not in Christ, you're lost. And anytime you start debating the case with the word I, you're on thin ice, you're on no ice. Because you can't rely upon I, you. You must find salvation outside of you. So don't compare yourselves with one another or both what you do or any of that stuff. Look to God's law. Have you kept it in thought, word, and deed? Well, no. You're lost. Or, or, you were lost. Remember, I'm talking to Christians this morning. This is our before picture. This is the snapshot of what we were when Christ died for us before we came to faith by His grace. When God is at work in you, you recognize the fact that you fall short. You are convicted over your sin. You tremble at the thought of standing before Him. 
So if you're flipping about these things, beware. God said, naturally speaking, the gospel would be foolishness to you. So if you find yourself thinking the gospel is foolishness, don't be encouraged by that. God said lost sinners would think that. But if God's at work in you, you have recognized this as true. You have embraced the bad news out of conviction. What did Isaiah say? A prophet, when he saw God in his unblemished glory, woe is me. I am undone. And you know what? Everybody around me is undone too. We all need a Savior. So if you're lost, listen up today. I'll tell you some very good news. But the first step is to embrace the bad news. If you're not in Jesus, this is true of you now. You are helpless, ungodly sinners who are enemies of God who need a Savior. In and of yourself, you are that. You deserve wrath. If you don't think you deserve wrath, you don't get it yet. I paused on purpose. If you don't think you deserve wrath from God, you don't get it yet. Are you saved? Never forget this. If you would rejoice, you must remember who you were. You must embrace the bad news every day so that your hope will continually be outside yourself in the Lord Jesus Christ. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the nearer a man, and this is woman, boy, or girl, the nearer a human being, the nearer a man gets to God, the greater he sees his sin. And thus far, those of us who are, who are trusting in Christ, the greater we see our sin, the harder we lean on Jesus. Because we know we have no answer in and of ourselves. How about Paul, near the end of his life, didn't say, I was the chief of sinners, did he? He said, I am the chief of sinners. But God had mercy on me. So where is your hope? Christian, remember, this is who we were before we came to Christ. Non-Christian, this is who you are. But there's hope. It's not in you. But there's hope. Where does it come from? Well, we've read through it, so we're going to go, we'll go through it again and look at, look at the hope part. Rejoice in God by remembering Christ's past. And remember, I'm talking to Christians when I word it that way. Christ's past. Look at this. Look at the great encouragement that is in this text. Remember, we've said that we were ungodly. We were without hope. We were strengthless. Look at verse 6 again. While we were still weak at the right time, just like Galatians 4.4, 4, he came at just the right time to fulfill all righteousness, to die for his people, to be raised from the grave. At the right time, Christ died for the religious people who clean up their act. Is that what that says? Check. That is awesome news. Christ died for the ungodly. Hallelujah. What a Savior. As a preacher one time used to skip every time he said that, didn't he? It moved him. Christ died for the ungodly. Praise God. That should give you hope. If you're currently ungodly, let that give you hope. 
Christian, you were ungodly. He died for that. He paid the penalty for that. You know, for a righteous person, maybe for a good person, as we, you know, comparing one another, one another, one helpful person gives to people, all that, you might be willing to die, but God showed his love in this verse. Christ died for the ungodly. That means he paid the penalty. He, did, he, he took the, the blow for the ungodly. So the ungodly have an answer if they'll look to Christ. And those who've come to Christ have an answer because by God's grace, remember, Corey was teaching us this morning, it wasn't your bright idea to come to Christ. You were dead in trespasses and sins. God made you alive with Christ and that your entire salvation is by grace through faith and it's all a gift. Go read Ephesians 2 again. So that means God gets the glory. So if you're trusting in Christ, you're in Him because God works that in us, right? So you were ungodly, yes, but Christ died for the ungodly. That's why he came to die. For those who had been given to him, he died for the ungodly. Secondly, a little more clarity. God shows, verse 8, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 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 Who's the us? I'm going to stir your pot a little bit very briefly and I'm going to move on. Christ died and paid a complete atonement for everyone given to him before the foundation of the world. An innumerable host from every tribe, tongue, and nation. Christ died for us. For whom did Christ die? He died for his bride. How do I know I'm one of them? Maybe I want to get saved and he won't let me. No, because you won't want to get saved and he's not working. Not really. Not genuine faith. How do I know I'm in the us? Because I have faith in him. That's a gift of God. Are you trusting in Jesus this morning? Even with a weak faith, as all of your hope in Christ, then it's because God saved you. He gave that to you. Because he gave you to his son. Remember what we sang. My sin nailed him to the tree. And he went willingly to pay that cost. The Son of God came to die for the weak, helpless, ungodly sinners. And he paid the price. Look at, look at verse 10. For if while we were enemies... We were reconciled to God by doing the best we can and he paid the rest. Now we were reconciled by the death of his son. Look, his enemies are reconciled by the death of his son. There's only one way to be reconciled to God and it's through the death of his son. There's only one son who was the spotless lamb who was pictured in all of that Old Testament, who was the lamb of God who would take away our sins, who, who, who was perfect in thought, word, and deed, who was God and man so he could answer for the penalty of his people's sins on the cross. And he died for his enemies, for us, for the 
helpless, ungodly sinners talked about in this text. Christ died, Paul says, Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried and he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And not only after his resurrection appeared to all of the disciples, but the apostles, but over 500 people at one time, as Corey was talking about last week. What does this mean? Christ died for us. Christ died for his enemies. Christ took our wrath. See, the condemnation we deserve, the wrath we deserve, is what he was enduring on the cross. It wasn't just the physical suffering. I've talked to some of y'all about this before. One of the reasons, one of the reasons I don't like the movie The Passion. It's all about the physical gore. And there's no gospel in it. For those two reasons, I don't like it. And there's more. But, but the physical suffering was horrible. But it was nothing compared to that drinking that cup of God's wrath dry that he trembled over in the garden. The spiritual suffering was unimaginable. <coughs> Taking the eternal wrath against all of his people onto himself and because he was God, he could bear it and drinking it dry in a matter of hours on that cross. He took hell on himself on the cross so that we wouldn't have to take it. Our wrath was on him. And he drank it dry. He paid for the sin of his enemies. Those sinners the ungodly, the helpless one. So what is the result? So we rejoice in God by remembering our past and Christ's past, which is the gospel, right? We find, thirdly, we rejoice in God by remembering our present. What are we now because He's done all that for us? Look, at, look back in verse 9. And we're just going to stop for a second. Since therefore, we have been now, we have now been, look at that, look at that, focus on that, justified by His blood. Justified by His blood. What does that mean? His death, His atonement, His payment. <coughs> Remember what justification is? It's the work of God's grace wherein first He does what? Pardons all of our sin. Why? How can He do that? Because the wrath, the debt has been paid. Through the blood of Christ. And when we say blood of Christ, we're using that as a part for the whole. Through the sacrifice of Christ. Through the death of Christ. That spotless lamb who was willing to come and pay my debt. And your debt. And he did it intentionally. Remember what else we sang? My name is graven on his hands. It's written on his heart. It's true. It's not corny. It's true to say that when he was on the cross... You were on his mind. That he was thinking of 
us corporately, yes, but us individually as well. He's great enough to do that. Justified. The second part of that. Pardoned for all of our sins and accepts us as righteous in His sight. Not because we've been good. Only for the righteousness of Christ. Received by faith. Alone. Imputed. His righteousness imputed to us and received by faith alone. Justified. Now watch. This should dispel all false gospels. If we are justified, it's because of His sacrifice. His righteousness set the stage for His sacrifice, proved Him to be the perfect Lamb of God so that He could die and pay the penalty for His people's sins. And we are justified not on the basis of anything that is us, but all on Him, justified by His blood. What is the basis of your justification if you have it? Christ. Not your works. No, His works. My works are not in any way contributing to the basis of my justification. My works are what brought Him to the cross. I bring the problem. He brings the solution. Himself. Listen, just a little bit of peace and helpfulness for you as you're dealing with interpersonal relationships. You are your biggest problem. I don't care what the other person's doing. You are your biggest problem. Take the log out of your own eye so that you can help the brother or sister see the speck. Justified by his blood, he took it all. Look at verse 9. Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by His blood. There's more. Look. Much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Why? Because He took the wrath. Why are we saved from the wrath? He took it. I've already said it. How much wrath is left for the one trusting in Jesus? None. Romans 8.1 there is therefore now not much condemnation left for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. The child of God, if you're trusting in Jesus this morning, there's no condemnation left for you. Because He took it all for you. It didn't just get like a grandparent swept under the rug. No, He took the blow. He satisfied justice. So there's no wrath left for you. Look at verse 10. While we were enemies, we were, look at that beautiful word, reconciled. Our debt was paid. We were reconciled to God. Formerly enemies of God, now at peace with God. Remember verse 1 of chapter 5? The war is over. Reconciled to God. No longer enemies. Not, and listen, not just friends. I mean, you are a friend of God if you're trusting in Jesus, but it's way better than that. You're His kid. You're adopted into the family of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Your Father sits on the throne. Reconciled to God. By, there it is again. What's the basis of that? By the death of His Son. Gosh, if the gospel doesn't make you love Jesus, you don't understand it. See, that's why I want you to know who you were or who you are. Without that, you won't have... Who loves Jesus more? The one who's forgiven little or the one who's forgiven much? Remember that? The one who's forgiven much. We need to know how much we've been forgiven. We need to know who paid the penalty for our sins. What not us? Who reconciled us? It's the Lord Jesus. Peace with God. And then last, verse 10, saved by his life, not just his death. Shall we be saved by his life? Now that we are reconciled, we're saved by his life. His righteousness credited to us. And that's what we're being transformed into. Double imputation. Remember, we talked about that. Our sin was imputed to Christ. He paid the penalty for that. His righteousness is imputed to us so that our record before God, if we're trusting in Jesus, is perfect obedience in thought, word, and deed. That's our record before the judgment bar of God. And He is sanctifying us now or transforming us into what we already are. And when Christ returns or we leave this earth, the work's finished. And our, 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 our rational response to this is right there in verse 11. We're reconciled. More than that, we rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received the reconciliation. Because we have received the reconciliation, that's a completed action, we now walk in a state of rejoicing. Remember, this is not the only time rejoicing is mentioned. We've seen it. This is a section about the application of justification so that it makes us walk in rejoicing even through the difficulties of this life. A few points of application and we'll ordain Gary. First, Christian, never forget who you were before Christ. Remember, that's what Paul drives home in the letter of Ephesians. You were dead. He's not being mean. He wants them to remember who they were. He goes on later in verse 11. Remember that at that time you were separate from Israel. You were without God and without hope and that's who you were. But God, right? That's who Christ came to die for. Never forget who you were before Christ. Helpless, ungodly, sinners who were enemies of God. That was our heart. Now, we might have dressed it up in religion and made it look pretty or not. But that was our heart before coming to Christ. Never forget who you were. It glorifies God for you to remember who you were. A legalist will shun that remembering, right? But a gospel heart doesn't mind remembering because it all just gives glory to God. Now, we don't... We don't sort of rehearse the putrid aspects of it for entertainment or anything like that. But we remember who we were. And we, we just walk all that to the cross. It was paid for. Paid in full. So listen, if you're, if you're trusting in Christ this morning but you're worried He still holds something against you, nope. If He forgives any, He forgives all. Where is our sin according to Psalm 103? 
far as the east is from the west, in the heart of the sea. What's the point of that picture? So believer, your sin is gone. Remember it because it, it, it instructs you and helps you to not hope in yourself but in Christ. But don't remember it alone. Don't take the gospel dress off of it. Right? Secondly, never forget what Christ has done for you. You're saved because He lived for you, died for you, was raised for you, and is reigning for you at this very moment. So don't remember your past in isolation from the gospel. That's pretty discouraging, right? Remember it, yes. But remember it in connection with Christ's past. That he paid for that. And the resurrection proves the payment was accepted. As Christ said, it is finished. And then never forget your standing in grace. Thirdly, if you're trusting in Christ, you are justified by His blood. You are delivered from the wrath to come. You are a child of God. Reconciled to God. Saved. All because of His grace. Read Ephesians 1. The, the credit goes to Him. The glory of His grace. We're, we're trophies of grace, right? We're His trophies, His achievement. We were the problem. But God, but Christ came to save us. So never forget your standing in grace. And in this way, number four, you can live a life of rejoicing. Your status is reconciled to God. It's justified. Forgiven, cleansed, clothed in the righteousness of God. Declared righteous by the judge already. Hidden in Christ, child of God. How do you want to say that? Forgiven, cleansed. You've been reconciled. So see, Christian... We kind of went through this text a few times and we picked out different words and organized them to show us our before and our after. Before, hopeless, helpless, ungodly, sinners, enemies of God, deserving condemnation. But God, Christ, lived, died, raised, paid the penalty, reconciled us to God so that we stand justified forgiven, clothed with hope. Never forget your before and after. Both your, you are who you are now in Him because you're hidden in Him. If you're not a Christian, remember, you're stuck in the first part. From point one, your sermon stopped point one other than to hear the good news of how you can be reconciled to God. But if you're a believer, no matter how you feel this morning, justified, reconciled, redeemed, forgiven. Never remember your past without remembering Christ and the results of His grace. I'll end this morning with a quote that is not only loved by me, but Andrew Wilwarding and some others. He quoted it in his sermon. But John Newton, author of Amazing Grace, 
once a slave trader and all of that kind of stuff, converted, became a pastor, a hymn writer. He said this. Remember, he never forgot his before and after. He says, although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner, and Christ is a great Savior. Go, remember, and rejoice. You have a great Savior. To live is Christ. Let's pray. Lord, have mercy on us to always and forever have all of our hope fixed on you. Lord, I pray for those who are under the sound of my voice that don't know you. I pray that today would be the day of conversion. Today would be the day that they stop listening to themselves and following themselves and rebelling against you. Today would be the day that you work conviction in their hearts so that they tremble and turn and receive the full and glorious salvation in our Lord Jesus Christ. And for those of us who know you, Lord, may we be in this spiritual discipline of remembering who we were and who you were and are and who we are now in you. So, Lord, I pray, save, convert, and sanctify, grow your people to be ever more and more rested in your grace, leaning hard on Christ, and living for your glory. Bless us, Lord. And right now, I just pray, guide and lead us. We thank you so much for those you're raising up for deacon and elder. And we pray that your, your, your presence and peace and power would be with us as we do an ordination of our brother. So we're going to sing and then we're going to ordain Gary as a deacon, but we are just recognizing your work of grace in his life. That you have made him a servant. And so we praise you now and cast ourselves on you in Christ's name.